0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 45 of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. It feels really weird to be starting this podcast off without having to talk about the MLB work stoppage or collective bargaining agreement conversations, but alas, there's no need to anymore. Spring training is in full swing as we inch closer and closer to April 7th. Opening day for the 2022 regular season. I can't believe it's only a week away. But with that out of the way, let's move into this week's episode where we're going to talk about the 1919 World Series and the controversy surrounding it and the Black Sox scandal. The 1919 MLB season came to a close with a 1-2 finish by the Cincinnati Reds in the National League, and the Chicago White Sox in the American League. The Reds, led by Hein Groh and Ed Roche, finished the season with a 96 win and 44 loss record, while the White Sox, led by Eddie Sakat and Shoeless Joe Jackson, finished with an 88 win and 52 loss record. The White Sox run to the American League pennant was a bit of a complicated one, as throughout much of the season, there was an unbelievable amount of tension that literally split the club into two. You see, Charles Kaminsky, the White Sox club owner, had a bit of a reputation for underpaying his players, even if they were the best players in the league. The White Sox, just two years before, in 1917, won the World Series, but Kaminsky did nothing to compensate them. Back then, the MLB had a reverse clause in the contract they had, kind of similar to what we have with the collective bargaining agreement today. The reverse clause basically said that any player who refused to accept a contract was prohibited from playing baseball on any other professional team under the auspices of organized baseball. And on top of that, players could not change teams without permission from their current team. So, in other words, without a union, the players had no bargaining power, and no say in anything when it came to money and movement around the league. This meant that baseball players were looking to earn more money. Understandably. So, they turned to the gamblers. And this is where our story really begins. The White Sox clubhouse split into two. The Clean Sox, who were the more prim and proper players, and the players who were into earning a couple extra bucks from the betters. The two sides rarely spoke with each other on and off the field. On September 21, 1919, a meeting of the White Sox players in that latter group was held in Chick Gandil's room at a hotel in New York. Chick was the mastermind behind the entire scandal. He was the one that made a deal with a better to throw the World Series. Enter Hugh S. Fullerton. Fullerton was the mastermind behind data collection in professional baseball back in this Victorian era of the sport. He would collect data and detailed information on every game that he attended, using it to find out how games were won and lost, not just for record keeping. He believed through his data collection, that you'd be able to predict how a team season would go, or predict how a player would perform that season based on their data. According to a BBC article on Fullerton, in 1906 he leapt to prominence when he picked the hitless wonders of the Chicago White Sox to beat the Chicago Cubs, despite the latter having won a record-setting 116 games during the regular season. Apparently, he wrote that the White Sox would win games 1 and 3, the Cubs would win game two, and that it would rain on the fourth day. And guess what? He was right about all of that. He even correctly predicted the winners of the 1912, 1915, 1916, and 1917 World Series, while including the exact numbers of games needed to win in each. I think it's safe to say that he really knew his stuff when it came to the science of baseball. When it came to the World Series, however, Fullerton knew something seemed suspicious. For throwing the game, the betters and the kingpin Gandle decided on a fee of $100,000, which was to be shared among the eight conspirators of the team. If you're wondering, that's about $1.6 million in today's money a pretty big total considering many of the players were making about $5,000 per year. The night before the opening game of the 1919 World Series, Fullerton had a talk with Christy Mathewson, the newly retired, soon-to-be Hall of Fame pitcher, who was at the same hotel as Fullerton for the World Series. Both of them had suspicions that the series was rigged, so they came up with a list of things to look out for. Now, as you can imagine, the series couldn't just be a chain of mistakes. It had to be something so little, something subtle, that would very carefully swing the momentum away from the White Sox and in favor for the Reds. Something like a bad throw to first base, or a pitch that was just slightly off target. For someone like Fullerton, it was just another day at the office, I mean, it was his time to make sure that he watched every single pitch to catch any out-of-the-ordinary plays that could be indicative of throwing the game. And, sure enough, it came. Eddie Ciccati, the right-handed ace on the White Sox, threw the first pitch of the series in the strike zone for strike number one. The second pitch, however, got away, quote-unquote, from Eddie... And struck Cincinnati leadoff hitter Maury Rath in the back. This was the signal confirming the player's willingness to go through with the fix. A couple innings later, in the fourth inning, a ground ball was hit to Sakati, who picked it up and tried to throw it to second to start the double play. Instead, Sakati airmailed the ball over the player covering the bag, which was a bit of a rare error for Eddie. Now, As you can imagine, sports writers found the unsuccessful play a little suspicious, and all of a sudden, everyone started to take notice of Fullerton's warnings. As the series went on, more and more out-of-the-ordinary events started to take place. Lefty Williams, the second White Sox ace, lost both of his games, a surprising feat after winning 23 games during the regular season. Dickie Kerr, a young lefty pitcher who wasn't part of the fix, unsurprisingly won both of his starts, pretty much confirming the suspicions of who the 8 players involved in the fix were. Things started to get a little dicey during the series for these 8 men out, as they were called, because the bettors started to go back on their promise of money, saying that the money was let out on bets and was in the hands of the bookmakers. Since the players were being paid per loss, and since the team kept winning thanks to the players not involved in the fix, the bettors were really starting to lose faith in the eight men out. The players involved in the fix started to get frustrated, and even attempted to double cross the gamblers by winning game 6 and game 7 of the best of 9 World Series. However, as you can imagine, the bettors took offense to that. Before Game 8 was played on October 9th, threats of violence were made towards the players and their families, as I can imagine was really the start of the tumble that these players would take. Lefty Williams took these threats and decided to purposely lose Game 8. By throwing nothing but meatballs to the hitters, Lefty gave up 4 straight 1-out hits, good for 3 runs, before his manager, Kid Gleason, relieved him. The White Sox lost the game 10-5 as the Cincinnati Reds became world champions for the first time in their long history. Immediately after the series was over, angry rumors kicked up that the series had in fact been thrown, with Hugh Fullerton leading the charge. While at the games, Fullerton highlighted 11 suspicious plays in just the first three games of the series. By the 8th game, although he had no concrete evidence, he was certain that something was wrong. At one point, before Game 8, Fullerton was stopped by a better, who was strongly urging him to bet on the Reds, telling him that it was going to be the biggest first inning that he'd ever seen. Which, looking back at it now, was probably enough of evidence for him. And, sure enough, After the Reds had a four-run first inning, it was just the biggest first inning that he'd ever seen. The White Sox players that Fullerton suspected were part of the fix committed nine errors throughout the series, a pretty high number for a team that won the American League pennant pretty easily. Those players also gave up 21 runs combined, compared to just 14 runs given up by the non-fixers. Fullerton wrote a report on the series, claiming that he was disgusted by the display of ineptitude with which the White Sox had thrown the series, and that no World Series should ever be played again. Both the Chicago Herald-Examiner and the Chicago Tribune backed down from printing the accusations for fear of being accused of LaBelle. So, no immediate action was taken by the league or any jury until a year later in September 1920. You see, suspicions around baseball and gambling remained during the year, reigniting the subject of the bizarre 1919 World Series. In September 1920, an investigation was opened into the possible fixing of a game between the Chicago Cubs and the Philadelphia Athletics, a series that concluded with the Athletics winning the series 4-1, 10 years prior in 1910. It was during these talks that another testimony claimed that the 1919 World Series had been fixed as they continued to name several White Sox players that were involved with it. And, unsurprisingly, within a couple of days, several of the named players confessed. In late June 1921, the trial of the State of Illinois versus Eddie Cicotte opened in Chicago. The first day of trial All of the players were found not guilty due to three signed confessions that had mysteriously gone missing. Hmm. Now, because of this lack of evidence, the jury retired. The very next day, however, Judge Kenesaw Mountain Landis, the commissioner of baseball at the time, issued a statement proclaiming that any player who knew about a potential fix and did not report it to his club would be banned from baseball for life, regardless of any court verdict. The first players to fall foul of this announcement were the eight White Sox, now christened the Black Sox. Chick Gandil, Eddie Cicotte, Oscar Felsch, Shoeless Joe Jackson, Fred McMullen, Charles Reisberg, Buck Weaver, and Lefty Williams were all banned for life by Landis, for their involvement in the fix. Many people know the Black Sox scandal to be the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, for Shoeless Joe's Hall of Fame hopes, despite his pretty incredible stats in the big leagues. I mean, he had a career batting average of 356, the third best in history, and hitting stats good enough for a shoe-in, no pun intended, into Cooperstown. Joe was still said to be involved. Years later, however, all of the band players said that Jackson was never present at any of the meetings that they had with the gamblers, and that they only brought him up in hopes of giving the players more credibility with the gamblers. So, if you really think about it, Shoeless Joe Jackson was kind of an accomplice without him even knowing that he had any involvement in it. And during the World Series, he actually played very well, hitting over 370 throughout the World Series. But regardless, all players stayed banned for life, and everyone involved got their just desserts. So next week's episode, we'll do a preview of the 2022 MLB baseball season, as I'll attempt to make some predictions on the outcomes of the season, and give you a taste of things to look forward to as we fall into the regular season once again. Thank you for listening.